Hello, Tom. Uh, could you tell me what year and month it is, please? Certainly, Stuart. It is, um, and I'm, I promise I'm not going to look this up. Uh, no, no. no it, I, I honestly do know the answer. It is 2023 and it is October. And the reason I know that is because I can see it in the top right hand of my laptop screen. Oh, well, yes. yeah, OK, that's not, not ideal. Could you spell the word world backwards? D-L-R-O-W. So I actually wanted to do that to show off that I could do it easily. Very, very good. Very good. Um, could you repeat the phrase that I'm about to, to say? No ifs, ands, or buts. Uh, no ifs, ands, or buts. And then I want, to, I want you to place the index finger of your right hand on your nose and then onto your left ear. So the same finger, yeah. I mean, I mean it's not very—it's not very good because I'm actually in a different room from you, so I can't see this, if you got it right. This, this is great radio, <laughs> uh, ladies my, and gentlemen. My, my fingers on my right fingers on my nose, and now it's on my my ear. Very yeah. good, congratulations, uh, ladies Thank and gentlemen. You. What I've been doing here is uh, some of the mini mental state examination, which is a dementia screening test, which uh, Tom has passed with flying colours. Um, I, I, I do not think I can give you a diagnosis of uh, dementia right now, but that plus several other questions uh, 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 is what doctors routinely use to diagnose uh, dementia. And if you if you struggle with those kinds of questions, then you might uh, have dementia. And what we're going to talk about today is uh, dementia and one of the main theories uh, for Alzheimer's disease in, in particular, uh, and all the controversy that's uh, around that uh, so-called amyloid theory of Alzheimer's. So uh, congratulations, yes. Tom. Thank you very much. I, have, I do not have dementia and specifically don't have Alzheimer's. Um, yes. Okay. Um, welcome to the studies show. I'm Tom Chivers. I'm a science writer at Semaphore. I'm Stuart Ritchie. I'm a science writer at The Eye. Uh, yes, and if you enjoy this podcast, please do, as always, like and subscribe. If you're particularly yeah. enjoying it or feeling very generous, then um, you can go and become a paid subscriber by uh, signing up at thestudiesshowpod.com. Uh, we've already done a couple of paid-only episodes, so you are actually getting something for your money, and we're not just like got the begging bowl out um uh, <laughs> yeah 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 and we've got we've got another very exciting i'm not going to reveal what it is but we've got a very exciting uh topic uh coming up for the next paid episode uh, as well yes so we have. Uh, i can i can so definitely yeah, please, remember what it is yes yeah, yeah well <laughs> uh I, I do and it has to do with the uh the month that we're uh, about to go into um oh, but yes. um please do leave us a, a like or a, and, and, and subscribe and uh, anything you can do like leaving us a review we've got loads of really nice reviews on apple podcast now which is very gratifying to see um and also just telling people about the podcast is great so anyway without uh, uh further ado let's talk about alzheimer's tom what is alzheimer's I think, like, firstly, I think a lot of people use it kind of synonymously with dementia, uh, but it's not the same. Um, it's a subset of dementia. There are lots of so dementia is just literally the sort of the dement. It means the losing of mind, and it generally yes. we, we generally mean it in older age is when it's most commonly used when people's brains become less effective as they get older. Alzheimer's is the most common form, but it's uh, there are lots of other, of other forms. I mean, um, there's vascular dementia, which uh, is caused by blood vessels in the brain starting to break down in various ways. There's posterior cortical dementia, which is what Terry Pratchett uh, died of. There are, you know, these various different things. But Alzheimer's is the most common. Uh, yeah. It usually starts to manifest in people's sort of mid-60s. Uh, you can get these early onset versions, which starts as early as in you know, people's 30s, but that's much, much rarer. Um and it's 
I mean, it's it's a really horrible. It's a progressive condition. So you might start with people. You know, might notice people sort of forgetting names of things or recent events or not being able to remember conversations, and it just seems like normal the aging process. You know, but then later on, you get more severe memory loss. You get this variety of other symptoms. You get confusion, disorientation. Uh, problems with speech and language you get people i mean i think that some of the saddest bit is when people's personality changes and they get more aggressive or suspicious of right. their loved ones they, or don't recognize they them. become a different person uh totally in, in, yeah. in many respects yeah yeah and then you get you, get, you also get hallucinations low mood sort of depression is a we'll, we'll link to the um nhs's page on alzheimer's yeah but i think people forget about that they fo- they focus on the memory loss memory. And, uh, and so on but there's so many other horrible symptoms that come along with it like mm. it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly nasty disease yeah and your brain i mean your brain is literally like I mean, it's ch- it's change the structures of your brain are changing and being damaged and so it yeah. affects much more than just your memory it's you know, your brain cells are dying that's what neurodegeneration is which is you know these are yeah. these are all called neurodegenerative diseases uh um alzheimer's and and, and other forms of dementia and parkinson's too and and yeah your brain cells are dying off this is, this is yeah. a horrible thought um, but all these things we just mentioned are they are indeed symptoms of Alzheimer's, but they're symptoms of dementia in general. So, for example, in vascular dementia, you know, they might have might, the memory loss might not be so obvious early on, and maybe you're more likely to have sort of strokes that are uh, symptoms that are like a those like those of a stroke, you know, like muscle weakness on one side or movement problems. But you st- they're still, you know, they're very much overlapping symptoms. There's, a, there's another kind of dementia called um, Lewy body dementia, where you're more likely to get like sleep disturbances or visual hallucinations, but Broadly speaking, that's, uh, all these that's what Robin Williams had, right? Is that uh, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, I think he had Lewy body yes. dementia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, that was sort of an, uh, revealed after he died, wasn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. But but all of these things sort of they all have roughly the same cluster of symptoms. So I guess what what's interesting, right? What what what? Why do we say that Alzheimer's is its own? thing rather than just call you know rather than just describing what is what is the diagnosis you know what's the diagnostic thing and um i suppose we can sort of point back to right at the beginning of uh the history of all this which is in the early 20th century 1906 this german psychiatrist called alois alois i've seen that name a million times and i never know how to pronounce it alois Al- alois anyway something like yeah, that yeah that would be, be my guess but yeah, yeah. alois let's say alois but the point Alzheimer. is his surname was alzheimer's and that it was alzheimer and that's what it's named alzheimer. after yeah. Exactly, yeah. yes. That's the important bit. We don't have to remember the Alois bit. Yeah. Um, anyway, he described uh, a 50-year-old woman with paranoia who had pro- um, progressive sleep and memory disturbance. She was aggressive and she was confused for the five years until her death when, when he was her doctor. And he noticed upon post-mortem examination this... Um, so, über einen eigen, eigenartigen schweren Erkrankungsprozess der Heilenreinde, which I'm sure... Unbelievably bad. I'm pretty sure that was... Pretty sure that was bang on. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. So, any peculiar, severe disease, the um, disease process of the cerebral cortex. So, uh, he noticed in, there's a dam- this damage, this progressive damage in the cortex, or um, there's damage in the cortex, uh, which was later shown to be these strange plaques and tangles in the brain um, caused by two protein- proteins, which you now mm. call beta amyloid protein, which causes the plaques, and tau, which causes the tangles. And those are. I think it's fair to say they are the sort of the diagnostic feature of Alzheimer's disease. That's the, the when when you, when we diagnose Alzheimer's, it is that which distinguishes it from Lewy body dementia or vascular dementia. I think I think that's I think that's right. Yeah, although it's it's not quite right to say diagnostic because normally people are diagnosed on the basis of 
the cognitive symptoms and using tests like the one I gave you at the start mm. of, of, of this, um, it's actually quite hard to uh, measure plaques and tangles in the brain. And for a long time, you had to do it when you know, only after someone was, was dead. Yeah, like a, post, yeah. a post-mortem brain examination. I think you can get indications now from various different brain scans of, of amyloid. And in fact, we're going to come back to that because, of course, some of the drugs that are now available to deal with Alzheimer's, you, you, you have to be able to know whether you can whether someone has amyloid in their brain because uh, they work on removing the amyloid. But um, that's jumping ahead too fast because yes, we want to talk yes. about this, this amyloid a bit more. Absolutely. But yeah, the, uh, so yeah, the, and according to the Mayo Clinic, I'll put the link in the show notes, there's all, you, know, you can also do cerebrospinal fluid tests which show the right. ratio of amyloid and tau protein. So, there, so yes, you're right. It's not as straightforward as you find some beta amyloid, you declare they've yeah. got diet, but, yeah. but it, that, 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 that is an indication that doctors use to say that we've got Alzheimer's, someone's got Alzheimer's rather than vascular dementia or Lewy body yes. or whatever. Yes. Okay. So what we're going to talk about is the, is the amyloid hypothesis, right? Which is, I mean, it's in simple terms, it is the hypothesis that Alzheimer's is, is not just core, you know, it isn't, isn't just, doesn't just, um, uh, have these, uh, amyloid and um, amyloid proteins as a sort of side effect it is that the the beta amyloid tangles the beta amyloid plaques cause the alzheimer's right. Right. and that's that's not necessarily true right i mean we know you know there's lots and lots of diseases that have symptoms or that are associated with various uh, signs and things that aren't caused by those signs i mean i mean get to pick possibly a silly example but colds are correlated with a buildup of mucus in the nose right but that's not right, but the mucus is not the cause of the colds. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I, 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 it's I a think, virus. I th- yeah, well, exactly. We we now know that it's a virus. I think if you asked like Galen or someone in the, you know, ancient Greece, they would have said mm. that the four humors, uh, according to four humors theory, an imbalance and over overproduction of phlegm of your four it causes winter diseases, which I think it probably is quite. That's crazy. actually the cause of it, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The mucus. Yeah. So it's a, but uh, but now we we would say a virus causes your body to react in certain ways, including overproducing mu- mucus in the sort of, um, in your sinuses. Post-nasal drip, I believe, was the phrase. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. <laughs> Just a callback gag there for regular listeners. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, and there, are, an amyloid is only one of quite a few hypotheses for what does cause uh, Alzheimer's. Uh, some people, uh, in the 70s, people noticed that there's a particular enzyme uh, called choline acetyltransferase, which is reduced in, a, in Alzheimer's disease patients. So that was given as a possible cause. Others have suggested damage to veins in the brain or that it's tau, the tau protein rather than the amyloid. Um, again, I'll put a link of link to this enormously long article uh, with listing a variety of different potential causes, bafflingly long. And, you know, that, uh, but it's quite remarkable that we still actually, you know, just taking a step back, we still don't really know. A lot of people claim to know and have a, mm. have a specific theory, but we don't have it really pinned down at all what the cause of it of, of, of Alzheimer's is, um, which is different from lots of other diseases, which we know are, you know, caused by viruses or, or whatever. And obviously there's lots to, lots to know about what's going on with lots of diseases. But um, as, as I'm sure we'll get to, that the fact that we don't really know has it's a good reason why we might not 
why we've not made much progress in treatments um, for yes, for exactly. Yeah, I mean, people you, you don't hear people saying we don't know what causes COVID nineteen or something. It's, it's nice right. to say forward. There's, right. there's a virus, you know. Right, and I suppose you get complicated questions if you said like, do we know what causes various cancers? And then there's a different, you know, the cause there. We're talking about a slightly different thing. We're talking about like lifestyle right. or right. environmental causes. That, but then we know, but we know that the overdivision of cells in the body is the sort of yes, yeah. We don't even cause. yeah. But the mechanism even in the brain of what's going on and what is the cause and what's the correlates is is still yeah. quite quite shrouded in mystery for for Alzheimer's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Subtly, subtly, philosophically different meaning of the word cause there, but you know, the, mm, but mm. It's, it's, it's just in the sort of basic level. We you know whether or yeah. not smoking causes Alzheimer's. Actually, we know it does. Yeah. Uh, another cause, like the um, another, you could say that the the Apple E gene, the Apple lipoprotein. E epsilon four allele, which is this gene, which uh, if you you know you can either have zero, one, or two copies of it, and uh, if you've got one copy, I think you're about double the risk of the average person, um, and that's I think I think about a quarter of people have one copy of that, and then if you have two alleles of it, and that's much rarer, then you're about ten times the risk of getting Alzheimer's, um, and that's uh, you might have seen Chris Hemsworth, you know Thor from the Marvel. Films. I do, I do. Um, who, who is one of the better of the um, the Avengers? I, I, yes, I'm not yeah. a, a big fan of the whole thing. But, you know. No, nor am I. I like uh, I like him and Robert Downey Jr. is always always good. But anyway, uh, Chris Hemsworth is um, is uh, taking a break from acting, I believe, because he got this diagnosis. So not really a diagnosis, but he he got the genetic test results, and he's got two alleles, so he's at much higher risk of Alzheimer's. And I think he wants to like reassess his health and and so on, and make sure that he's got everything all sort of set up for for a potential bad situation in the future. So uh, this can have a big effect on people. But anyway, that's another thing you could describe as a cause of Alzheimer's, right? But um, yeah. uh, it's a different level of... Because yeah. So in the, fact, the, yeah, so, we, we, so that's interesting because we do know these sort of... What are, what's the, the distal causes, if you like? The, the yeah, basic the more ultimate ones. We, yeah, exactly. We, we know that... We know that um, Certain, you know, certain lifestyle uh, and environmental things are linked to it, like smoking, like um, sedentary lifestyle, obesity, and all that sort of stuff. But um, we know that this gene is linked to it, but we don't know how it gets. You know, there's a big middle block with yeah, what the brain mechanism is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so we'll we'll return to talking more about the, hy the hypotheses later, I think. But the um, talking about genetics, the sort of the reason. The amyloid hypothesis took off at all was in 1991. Scientists noticed that the early onset, the hereditary on, um, early onset form of Alzheimer's, was linked to this muta mutation in a gene called APP, uh, which is different from APOE, um, yes. and which codes for a precursor protein, which then turns into amyloid in the body. Um, yeah. So that was what sort of sparked people's attention to it. And uh, I, I gather this is Stuart's note, but I'm going to pretend it's my own bit of brilliant research. So he said point, people, people <laughs> noticed that there were um, clues from Down syndrome, which is um, yeah. where have, uh, pe Down syndrome, have, pe uh, people have three copies of chromosome 21. That's where the APP gene is. And they almost always get uh, amyloid plaques in their brains in their 40s. And a large percentage, I mean, more than half, up to 75% of them end up with Alzheimer's in later life. So yeah, yeah. that was I, I, the sort I, of theory. Yeah. So the theory is that getting a, a, a high dose of amyloid, um, whether you're in one of these very unlucky families who have this particular APP gene mutation, and that causes you to get loads of amyloid, or if you have Down syndrome, and so you've got the extra APP gene that in, in very many cases, uh, 
leads to having amyloid plaques in your brain um that leads to uh, alzheimer's is, is 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 the theory so it's not that it's not that the average person who gets alzheimer's has this mutation even um it's just that this was evidence pointing towards amyloid being a factor um it's almost as if these are sort of natural experiments on the amyloid hypothesis so down syndrome being one and these very these kind of families with this rare mutation uh in in the other um and that's what among other things pointed people towards the uh the, the amyloid hypothesis yeah and sort of scientists i think came up with a sort of a sort of t- a story they told in which beta amyloid buildup causes this cascade of damage through the brain and then it, you know led to dementia and there have been i mean literally hundreds of scientific papers looking into it yeah, since then yeah and that's all sorts of stuff about like it, uh the build-up of amyloid blocking the communication of parts of the brain with with uh with other parts and and, and so slowing down the, the the signals and thus that causes your issues in, in memory and, and so on that's just one idea there's very many there's many other ideas and the idea of the the cascade is that it's causing all sorts of different problems uh in 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 the brain as well Whenever I read about people sort of work, sort of doing these big explanations of how some biomechanical thing works in the body, you know, like whether how how homeopathy works or um, how five HTT there's a there's a gene called five HTTLPR which was um, linked to uh, depression and all that sort of stuff. And there are hundreds of papers written about the mechanisms yes. there, and then and you know, or like we talked about psi in the last episode or how people do, doing these hypotheses of how it works, and I was thinking like you've got to be really sure that something actually does work before you start explaining how it works it seems to be a um yes. a sort of point we keep coming back to in this but yeah uh, i think, I so- think the, the the status of the alzheimer the amyloid hypothesis is, is a bit better than the 5 http thing which was like fully debunked but but yes. anyway but yes i agree that that that, a- that is a <clears throat> like just a as an epistemological point like you, you can and actually it happens for for even more basic things as well like trying to explain that Nessie in Loch Ness, you know, Loch Ness Monster, is mm. like a plesiosaur and working out how she might have, might, might have you, know, uh, you know, how that species lived in the dark recesses of the lake for millions of years, blah, blah, blah. That's one thing. You can spend lots of time doing that, but you have to actually have evidence that Nessie exists in the first place uh, <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. To, before you start doing all that. Yeah, um, and I, I'm going to go ahead and guess she doesn't. No offence, mate. But, you know. Could do an episode um, on that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That can be next next Halloween. Um, yeah, so it's been more than 30 years since the amyloid hypothesis was formalized. And in that time, like, like we, it has been an amazing 30 years for medical progress generally. I mean, like, I, I don't know about you, but I've got, I know lots of people who would not have been alive if they'd been diagnosed mm-hmm. with cancer 30 years ago. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I know lot, the, the, the lots of previously incurable cancers are now basically chronic conditions. Cardiovascular death rates have halved despite the, you know, the, um, everyone getting older. It is, there is, you know, there's been loads and, and loads and of progress. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and fatter and all those things, but it's just not true about Alzheimer's. Despite this, this hypothesis becoming the dominant sort of paradigm 30 years ago, it's just been almost zero progress. And, Back in 2019, the sort of def- the 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 idea that the um, amyloid the, the idea started to sort of rise, very, rear its head that the amyloid hypothesis had sort of bullied everything else out of the way. And um, there was a, there was this piece in Stat News by Sharon Bagley, the um, sort of veteran science writer who sadly died a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. She wrote this. She wrote a piece 
headlined, The Maddening Saga of How an Alzheimer's Cabal Thwarted Progress Towards a Cure for Decades. Yeah. And, um, it sort of, sort of hardened into a groupthink among some of the top yeah. scientists. Yeah, exactly. There's no sort of suggestion, I think, for even the people who say it's a cabal, they don't really think it's a sort of like a shadowy group who've organised. It's just that people people have, have built their careers on it, and, they, and when other ideas come along, they say, "Oh no, yeah. well, I can't. that doesn't fit with the with the with the." Um, with the, the 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 amyloid hypothesis, so the, what she said in that piece was that believers in the dominant hypothesis suppressed research on alternative ideas. They influenced what studies got published in top journals, which scientists got funded, who got tenure, and who got speaking slots at these reputation buffing scientific conferences. Um, scientists told Begley that they were told to pretend their research was amyloid related, even if it wasn't. Um, those who, those who tried to start companies to develop Alzheimer's cures were told again and again by venture capital firms and major bio, major biopharma companies that they would only back an amyloid approach. Um, and it ended up the, the co-discoverer of the APP gene mutation, but you know, we talked a minute ago about the, um, that, that gene, which sort of first sparked interest in the amyloid yeah. hypothesis. The, the, the woman who first discovered that link, um, later grew, grew so disillusioned with amyloid research that she left Alzheimer's research altogether. And she said that this, this amyloid hypothesis had dominated the field to the extent that they persuaded the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke, which is um, part of the National Institute of Health, that it was a waste of money to fund any Alzheimer's-related grants that didn't centre around amyloid. So, like, the, any, the, this, the, the argument is that just this, this amyloid hypothesis just pushed all other research to the side. Yeah. Um, and other, other scientists who, when they could get their voices heard, they, this is Sharon Begley's words, but she said um, the gra- that amyloid was the gravestones of brain neurons killed by something else and not their assassins, which would mean that um, targeting amyloid would no more revive dead neurons than removing headstones would re- resurrect bodies in a cemetery. Mm. So uh, yeah, yeah. It, it it sounds like it, it sounds really bad. I mean, obviously, you can explain any of these kind of stories as you know sour grapes by a defeated minority of people who actually have been shown to be wrong, you know, and and still have this kind of hidebound criticism of of the of the leading theory. But actually, I think I think many of these criticisms are totally are totally fair. It is unclear whether Alzheimer's is caused by or just correlated with the uh, amyloid stuff and even some of the drug studies that we're about to discuss don't quite clinch it for me um uh, because the effects are are so are so weak um it could also be by the way that amyloid is part of the story but not the whole story you know so amyloid could be the cause of some of the symptoms but uh maybe the ultimate cause is something different or there are other causes too um there could be sort of a pluralistic set of things to consider rather than just this one hypothesis but certainly on the basis of that article it, it really did seem like alzheimer's research was was on a was in a uh well as i said you know it's like a group think among the top the top yeah. most powerful researchers in the field stuck in a rut certainly and and the yeah. i mean the other thing is that whether or not these critics are right in the end, which we you know, one day presumably will know about but the yeah. fact that there's been this really limited progress in alzheimer's for all this time does suggest to me that there's value in not putting all your eggs in the amyloid basket, which is, right. you know, people looking for other things elsewhere doesn't seem like a terrible idea. And it does sound like some people at least were very firmly discouraged from doing so, which yeah. is not an ideal scenario. You know, and it does like this happens in every field of, you know, every field of science. And you hear these stories about people being told, I remember the, the guy, the guy, um, 
Heimholtz, who's one of the first researchers into sort of perception and so on, was told not to bother researching nerves because they, they um, <laughs> because they were, what was it? Because they, 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 they were bothering to try and work out how um, how they transmit it. Because they transmit at the speed of light because that's electricity and that's just it'll be really straightforward. And then he bothered measuring it and they transmit it like 100 miles an hour. Right. So you just like you know, there's the people people have to. People can be regularly warned off to areas by well-meaning older scientists who feel like they, oh, come on, we yeah. all know about that. We don't need to worry about it. You know, um, I suppose the devil's advocate position, just to try and defend the amyloid side, is that mm. they were they, they were waiting for the very recent few years of, of, of drugs, which would really test the hypothesis. And they were basically saying, like, hold on, we haven't actually you know been able to properly test this yet just wait until these drugs come out and then we will know um uh, uh, and and you know we shouldn't give up the hypothesis just yet that's no excuse for putting pressure on people and you know um stopping them from doing research that tests alternative hypotheses of course no um anyway so that's the you know that was that was the situation in the sort of late 20 2010s uh, around two, 2020 that sort of time but then it, it, it's, it's since then it's got even worse for the sort of the amyloid amyloid hypothesis um, proponents, I guess, because mm. uh, since the early two thousands, a lot of it's been a lot of the research in the amyloid area has been focused on this particular subtype of beta amyloid called toxic oligomas or toxic ol oligomas. I'm gonna go with oligomas. It sounds more medical. Somehow. Yeah, I would um, say that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, and these are amyloids that dissolve in bodily fluids, uh, but no one had identified any particular one that was linked with memory loss. There's sort of this hypothesis that these are the important ones, but no one was ever quite sure which one it was or how it worked. In 2006, um, there was this paper published in Nature by scientists at the University of Minnesota who said they'd found one which is a beta star 56 or amyloid beta beta star 56 the star mm -hmm. being a little asterisk one of the scientists involved said it was the first substance ever identified in brain tissue and alzheimer's research that has been shown to cause me memory impairment um big deal big deal that's, that's uh, a big deal at the time you know 2006 that was a big massive nature paper and huge progress made for the amyloid hypothesis Exactly. And there was this, uh, this editorial accompanying the, the, the paper in Nature calling amyloid beta star 56, which is a horrible thing to have to say repeatedly. I'm just, I don't know, I'm going to have to try. Anyway, they call it a star suspect in Alzheimer's. An Alts Forum, which is this widely read online hub for Alzheimer's research, titled its coverage, a beta star is born. Uh, Very good. It's not. It's rubbish. Actually, it's pretty rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely rubbish. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that 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 paper has now been cited about two thousand three hundred different, uh, you know, other other scholarly articles. And um, uh, hmm, where where's this leading, Tom? Well, I'm I'm just I'm, I'm saying it's great. You know, it's all good, and 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 everyone's happy, and and that's the end mm. of that. It was brilliant. Yeah. I think anyway. something. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> something might have gone wrong with this. Yeah. Well, there was a slight issue, which was that no one seemed to be able to recreate this. For these findings hmm. um the the uh, the authors did various follow-up papers and they seem to be able to find this link between this um amyloid beta star 56 and memory loss but no one else seemed to be even i, th I think even able to find the protein itself in any right. paper in any uh, anybody's brains yeah but um and then last year science you know and i suppose we should you know declare they should declare nature's their rival <laughs> yeah nature's yeah. chief rival science yeah, yeah. published the uh, this the results of the six months investigation showing that about 20 papers involved in, in, were looking into this uh, this particular protein this toxic oligomer apparently all 
altered or duplicated Western blots. So Western blots are the little um, we talked about them before. The little, the little square, the little um, w- ways of identifying proteins. They're little, um, yeah. they create little pictures by you by getting the protein to get passed through samples through through pass through a gel, basically. Um, like, so like the photos of them in the paper have been photoshopped. Photoshopped, yeah. Photoshopped, alt- yeah, exactly. Altered or or copied and pasted. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you know it. Not and not just as part of a routine use of them, but no, in an but inappropriate in, way. Yes, exactly. Well, we talked about exactly this in our episode on um, scientific fraud. fraud. Exactly, it's exactly. So I think this is exactly the sort of thing they're thinking of. In fact, Elizabeth Bick, who we mentioned, is uh, cited in the um, the science right, paper, which right. yeah, obviously, obviously, we'll put in the show notes. We so yeah, if you haven't heard that episode, then go back and you know one of the things that people often point out is that scientific fraud happens in data but it also happens in images uh, from like microscope pictures and also these kind of blots and uh, this is one example it seems yes i will also say we'll come back to this in a mayor culper episode but i'd got confused between these western blots and crystallography in that episode but that which was a bit embarrassing uh, but no one seemed to pick me up on it um anyway i I didn't notice that you said (laughs) um but yeah so four of those papers from the university of minnesota uh, team have been issued statements of concern i mean that doesn't to be clear this doesn't this beta what's it called amyloid beta star 56 is only one particular subtype of amyloid and although loads of money has been sort of thrown looking into it that doesn't necessarily <laughs> yeah. mean that the entire entire thing is just thrown away you know that's it doesn't mean that it undermines the whole thing but it's no it's it not a, devastating to the amyloid hypothesis as a whole but mm-hmm. it is pretty devastating that scientists spent so long and so much money following up on something which might never have been real yes yeah, but, but protein that might not exist at all God. does seem, does so seem bad <laughs> yeah exactly oh, massive like, wild goose chase yeah, for, for yeah this exactly yeah. um so that is yeah that's that's deeply suboptimal um but and, and, it, and it does mean it just just uh, it doesn't mean it's not real the amyloid hypothesis isn't real but it does immediately make you feel a bit wary of everything i think and certainly yeah. and what one thing that it fit, yeah that it, fit, it really strikes me about this as with uh some other cases of fraud including the very famous you know andrew wakefield mmr autism fraud mm. is that it took so long for this to be noticed or, or fixed you know uh well not that it was well not that it was particularly you can't really fix the damage has already been done uh, to the scientific you know uh, uh understanding but well i mean it's it's fixed in that we now know that it was wrong but all that money has been spent and there's nothing we can do about it um but it took so long i mean that original paper was 2006 and then it was only in 2022 that the yeah. that the, the this you know the investigation happened and so on um i think the original andrew wakefield paper was in 1998 yeah. and then it wasn't until 2010 or so that the 2012 i think i feel like it's 2012 we should probably right but I, I, the, the the really fraud you know allegations uh were were, were shown to be uh, yeah, it was withdrawn. That, so. I'm pretty sure it was withdrawn in 2012. But yes, exactly. It's it's, it's 14 years. You know, like it's uh, unbelievable. Uh, yeah, exactly. And the the in both cases the harm is huge. I think we can safely say that the the uh, Wakefield paper harm is greater because mm. the the huge drop in um, vaccination rates. But it's it, it is this stuff isn't like ivory tower fun stuff. It means that people, presumably, some number of people have died of Alzheimer's disease. Who might you know? Who, who might not have done if they had, if yep. they, if we you know, yep. if we come up with a cure, which in the time, which you know, I suppose I'm sort of assuming some or the, the progress. Right, that money been, could have been yeah. spent on something more worthwhile. Right. You yeah, don't exactly. know that for sure, but uh... don't know that for sure. I suppose I suppose there will come a point when we have an Alzheimer's cure in however many years' time, and maybe we'd have got it five years earlier if it hadn't been for yep. this nonsense, and that will be yep. some number of people who die 
needlessly in horrible condition uh, because of this. And that, that seems bad, right? The study show is brought to you by Works in Progress magazine. Um, you might have seen in the news recently that the malaria vaccine, which is the first malaria vaccine, it's called RTS, S. Very stupid annoying, name. But annoying yeah. name. <laughs> yes. Um, has cut child mortality by 13%, um, which is just astonishing and a really uh, remarkable um, success. Uh, 22% reduction in severe malaria as well. So uh, just, just a really amazing uh, science story, one of the best science stories for years. Um, if you want to know the details of how we got to this point, like where this malaria vaccine came from and the very long decades long process of developing the vaccine, then there's a great uh, essay by Saloni Datani uh, and a couple of other co-authors in the most recent issue of uh, Works in Progress magazine. So that's at worksinprogress.co and you can uh, read about that all the regulatory hurdles, the scientific hurdles that uh, people had to go over to get uh, uh, this this vaccine to where it is. And um, even though there's a major success, you know, 13% drop in child mortality is amazing. We could have got here much faster. We could have made faster progress. Um, and in that essay, you'll also find some of the lessons that we've learned from the process of developing the malaria vaccine and how we might develop other vaccines for other conditions uh, quicker in future. So you um, uh, can read this amazing long detailed essay uh, on uh, worksinprogress.co, which is also full of loads of other stuff, which would appeal to you as a listener to yeah. the study show. It's definitely pitched at the sort of person who enjoys this sort of show, I think, and it yeah, really I, is full I of agree. fascinating stuff. Yeah. The study show is also sponsored by um, the I newspaper, for which Stuart continues to write, as I Every Indeed. week, yeah, um, and uh, sticking with the newsy topics, I was I was genuinely a bit sad because it was part of my childhood and sort of in my teenage years uh, that Matthew Perry, Chandler out of Friends, um, died uh, recently. In the Eye this week, there's a really nice piece by Emily Bootle, sort of talking about what it means to grieve for someone you've never known. Uh, you know, which I think a lot of people are doing. Uh, there's, um, you know, we've all read lots of tributes to. Uh, Matthew Perry from people who grew up with him as a sort of familiar face on their screen and sort of feel almost like he was someone they knew and of course they weren't yeah. and, and, and I think that's a really understandable thing to feel and she just talked about what it means to feel this sort of strange grief for someone who is both a huge part of your life and whom you've, whom you've never met and how it's both both strange and also a real thing anyway. So I thought that was really interesting yeah. and rather nicely done and um, yeah. Yeah, I and There's loads of other good stuff Yeah, well, you're sad, I'm Indifferent, indifferent, but that's yeah. but that's fine. I've never. Really, it's just not a big, not a big deal. It's just a silly comedy show. But anyway, uh, uh, I don't mean to undermine. There's loads of other good stuff in there, including uh, all my science writing, and um, most recently in my subscriber-only newsletter, which uh, you can get by the way by going to inews.co.uk/podcast. You'll find a discussion of whether your microbiome causes Alzheimer's, so very relevant to the current episode of the study show. Um, uh, so th once again, that's inews.co.uk slash podcast to get a deal on your subscription and uh, uh, become a subscriber to the whole newspaper. So we're very grateful that the I uh, sponsors the study show. Um, so thanks to them. And now back to the show. But talking yeah. about an Alzheimer's <clears throat> cure, or at least Alzheimer's treatments, Yes. Uh, in the last couple of years, so really we are just talking 
in the last two years from 2021, maybe we do have an Alzheimer's treatment or several Alzheimer's treatments. Mm. Uh, certainly, if you look at the media reports, we've made massive breakthroughs just recently. And these are treatments that are based on the amyloid hypothesis. So maybe all this stuff we've talked about so far has just been a waste of time. We've actually been proven wrong by the advance of medical science. Is, is, that, yeah. is that possible, Tom? Definitely. And that's why, as, as so, so often, we're just going to end the podcast here. And um, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I feel like I say that every week. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, um, I, have, I have only got like three jokes that I make. But yeah, so um, yeah, there have indeed been three drugs recently um, licensed for use in the States. I don't think any of them have been licensed for use in the UK. Uh, I, so I think maybe only the first two have been licensed for use even in the States. I think the, the third one is still very new and i think there's not more trials needed and stuff they're all yeah. it's quite hard to keep and keep up to date with all the different phases of like where all these drugs yeah. are um but i think the, the first two that we're going to discuss are actually available for patients in the us yeah. none of them are available in the uk mm. um and yeah the third one is still going through going trials through i think yeah um and they're all um they're all and uh You'll, you'll know much more about this stuff than I do, Stuart. But, but they're all they're all antibody uh, monoclonal antibody um, yes. treatments, which are you know basically the, designed to mimic the human immune system to some degree, and um, they all, in the same way that antibodies in the human immune system attack certain. Uh, sort of designed to can, different antibodies can attack different proteins these are these are designed to attack to bind to and destroy the amyloid protein the protein is uh, the amyloid yeah. yeah yeah exactly and therefore reduce level, 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 the level of amyloid in the brain um yeah and, so, and 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 there's no uh question that they do that right yeah. the, the the when it comes when you take these drugs the amount of amyloid in your brain reduces right and, and you can see that in uh, in these the brain scans and stuff that we mentioned before they're very very good at, at that and that's one reason why people take them so seriously, because, you know, they, step one is amyloid causes Alzheimer's. Step two, these things reduce the amount of amyloid. And so it seems like the conclusion to that little um, syllogism or whatever is that these must reduce Alzheimer's yes. disease. And, yes. and that's why they've been taken so seriously. Yeah, but of course, if what we want to know is not whether they, you know, because if, if you go, you know, your, one of your grandparents has Alzheimer's disease, and you give them a drug, and you don't, you and they you might wouldn't want to say, well, Granny, you, I know you still can't remember your grandchildren's names, but you have much less amyloid in your brain. That's not, <laughs> yeah, you know, she won't care, and nor will it's you. Similar, so, it's similar. It's it's not just similar. It's exactly the same as what we talked about uh, quite a few episodes ago in that study for of cash transfers, where it made a difference to the children's brain waves as measured on an EEG, but mm. there weren't any behavioural measures uh, taken, um, yeah. um, and so it was like. Yeah, okay, it changes the brain, but does it actually change what we want to know, which is their behavior, their abilities, their skills, yeah. whatever? Yeah, and so so often these things are talking about biomarkers and proxy measures, but they they're they're proxies for the real thing, which is the the real thing you care about is are the people we care about doing better in this in this yeah. way that you know. Yeah. Um, and the three drugs are aducanumab. Um, which has got a, a brand name of Aduhelm, another one called Lecanemab, which is Lecembi, and finally Donanemab, which is one that isn't out yet and doesn't have a brand name yet. Um, you notice they're all yeah. called MABs. Almost every new drug these days ends with MAB. Well, um, it's it's because these are um, monoclonal antibodies. antibodies. MAB. Say it with yeah. me. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the first drug, um, Aducanumab, or Aduhelm, uh, as it's called, um, because it had this big effect on removing uh, uh, amyloid plaques, um, 
it was actually given accelerated approval by the FDA, so the Food and Drug uh, Administration, I think, yep. um, in the in the US in 2021, which actually went against the advice of uh, an independent panel that they they put together. Um, and the reason that the independent panel were not particularly impressed by this was that the evidence that that this reduced Alzheimer's symptoms, like cognitive symptoms was not at all convincing. It turns out that the drug company behind this ran two separate trials and actually cancelled both of them before the um, planned ending because it looked like they weren't working, looked like they weren't actually having an effect. And then suddenly in a kind of massive U-turn, decided actually they wanted to run a new analysis on just the people who had had the highest dose of aducanumab. And uh, it turned out in that case, uh, the, the, they claimed that it slowed that it slowed the Alzheimer's symptoms. But then you look at it closer, it only does so in one of the trials. Um, and this is exactly the sort of uh, chopping up of studies and sort of looking in subgroups and stuff that we recommend against in, uh, you know, that we've we, recommended we against in previous I was just studies. Gonna, I was going to leap in and say something like that. So, so they've, they've, they've changed their endpoint. They've, uh, they've chopped up the data in various ways. They looked at subgroups and we know we love that on here. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I'm sure yeah, I exactly. say, obviously, Stuart's hugely in favour of that. Yeah. This was a massive scandal at the time. Like, loads of people came out and said, this is not how, you know, the, the FDA is trusted because it only approves drugs for which there is a decent amount of evidence. And that was not the case for this, for this drug. Mm. Um, and it could be the case that, you know, so it's part of it is the, the the amyloid removal aspect but part of it is just because it, it's hard to uh, you know as you, as you said earlier it's hard to to kind of overstate what a big deal it would be if we did have a drug that helped with alzheimer's because we've just had you know the field has been fallow for decades but there's nothing that helps and so they were so desperate for something and you know there's there's no real compelling evidence that this that this works and that has that it's that's not only that's not the only problem one other problem is that it's really expensive like if we started giving this to all um alzheimer's patients it would not maybe not bankrupt the medical system but it would be an, an enormous expense on the medical system and um, it causes pretty bad side effects too. You get these um, sort of, uh, they're called amyloid-related imaging abnormalities, ARIAs. Um, you, and they're imaging abnormalities because you can see them when you do a brain scan. They, they, they kind of uh, show up a, a different intensity on the on the brain image. And it might be caused by fluid buildup or some kind of micro bleed, like a mini stroke in the brain. And that can cause all sorts of problems, you know, in addition to the problems that you're having with your Alzheimer's. So things like, you know, confusion, headache, vomiting even, uh, things like that. Um, and all these drugs that we're about to discuss are associated with these arias, which is, you know, the, the big the big side effects. So the question is, you know, is it worth it when actually there's not much evidence that it, that it slows down cognitive symptoms at all? Yeah. Okay. So in... Um in January 2023, there was another drug approved by the FDA. This one was called, this was the lecanemab one. Um, yeah. And that, that's, okay, so that seemed to have a stronger effect than aduhelm, aducanemab. But, I mean... It's not saying much, is it? Yeah. Well, Given it, that the first one possible. doesn't actually have an effect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The first one may not, may literally have done nothing at all to, uh, to, to slow down actual disease. That, uh, that, that does actually seem to have shown some change to clinical symptoms rather than simply a change in the in the progression of alzheimer's d disease i mean yeah. and, it was it was described as a momentous breakthrough 
by uh, I think yeah. well the BBC it was on that was the BBC headline, but I think it was maybe someone from the Alzheimer's Association uh, who who described it that way. I mean, this was a huge splash. I think just at the end of twenty twenty two, there was an enormous splash about this drug, and it was people were saying it was the beginning of the end, uh, or at least the end of the beginning for uh, yes. for Alzheimer's uh, and all that sort of stuff. So, but what what it showed was that it showed um, a slowing of clinical decline by 27% after 18 months compared uh, 18 months of treatment compared with those who received tr- placebo. So it's not that people got better. It's yes. not even that people stopped getting worse. It's that they got worse slower. 27% less quickly. Oh. Um yeah. which I mean is not we'll, we will come back in a minute I think to whether or not that's a big deal. Um yeah. but it's certainly worth saying that these really nasty and pretty common side effects were still very much in place um and i think you know people had some really had a really nice time of it uh, but it did apparently on these on some measures actually slow down clinical alzheimer's rather than just the, uh, the removing um uh removing yeah the amyloid the amyloid plaques yeah exactly the yeah and th- this is by the way a slowing on the kinds of questions that i was giving tom at the opening the of the, yeah. the program, um, th- not that exact questionnaire, but a, a questionnaire that's like that um, uh, is, is 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 used. Um, there's a whole variety of different questionnaires that you, you, you use. Let's just before we talk about what these things mean, let's just mention the third drug as well, which is yeah. m- much more recent. That's just a couple of months ago, um, <laughs> donanamab. Again, there were big media stories about that, a whole range of media stories. I think maybe mine and one other one was were the only ones that said, hold on, this isn't quite as good as it seems. And that one they claimed uh, in, in their study uh, for denanumab, it was a 22% slowing. If you just look at people who have mild impairment, I think it's 35% slowing of, yeah. of the decline. Um, so, you know, these, these seem like quite big uh, numbers. And um, I think... It's, it's worth just talking about what that actually means because th- there aren't really particularly well thought through rules for when you can say that something is clinically significant. So we, you know, we've talked about statistical significance a lot, and that's yeah. whether you know that's trying to work out in a world where there was no effect. Um, how likely is it that you would find the the results that you've you, you've got? So that's more of a like sorting the signal from the noise question. But then the question is, how big is that signal? And how big would the signal have to be before doctors would actually want to use this to uh, to help their patients? And whether uh, and how big would it have to be before patients would actually notice um, a, a difference? And in the Denanumab trial, they say that more than twenty percent slowing is considered. Uh, clinically relevant on uh, you know one of these clinical uh, cognitive tests like the one I gave Tom at the at the, at the start. Um, by the way, I only gave him like three questions from you know there's there's like thirty questions on that on that test. Um, uh, but I did so well at them that he just felt he could just. I just yeah, yeah. I cancelled the, the study early because you were but doing so well. This guy's obviously um, a genius. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and it doesn't really give a rationale in the paper, or well, it, it doesn't really. It, it refers the paper refers to other papers, which apparently back up the idea that over twenty percent is the threshold at which you would consider something to be clinically significant. And I don't agree. Uh, that actually those papers give that rationale. Um, if you look at them, uh, we can post 
my tweet thread where I go through them. Um, but I don't think it actually does back that up. Um, you know, one of them says a reasonable goal is 30 to 50% slowing. So that's a lot higher than over 20%. So I think there's basically a lot of kind of garbling of what the rules are. And I think some of it might be quite self-serving in terms of, you know, people setting the, the standard that's close to the effect that they find in, in, in their own study. They cite three different references, all of which give different numbers to the one that they actually give in, 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 in the study. But then also, if you look at this particular test that they were given in the, in the trial, um, apparently patients don't notice a clinical change on that particular test until it's above five points or maybe even nine points, uh, depending on your level of, of, uh, of, of impairment. If you use those numbers and you look at the Denanumab study, it's only between two, uh, 2.9 and 3.8 points. Um, and that's well below the threshold that you would notice a difference according to the guidelines, I think given by some of the same authors um, as are on the Denanumab hmm. uh, study. So so that is, if you take this uh, this drug, yes, you're, you, you might get a little bit better at some of the questions, but you don't actually, you might not even notice it yourself. Your doctor might not even notice it. And certainly that, you know, you, you would struggle for that to go into the real world, you know, like actually stops you from having symptoms of like losing your place and things, forgetting people's names, forgetting people's faces, you know, all the, all the issues that start to occur when you're in the early stages of Alzheimer's disease. There's two sort of obvi obvious possible comebacks to that, right? That one, the one is, they followed up over 18 months, you know, is is it that the two, you know, if we followed up over over thirty six months, the, the there'll be even bigger it gap might compound? Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It might go, go. And the other one is we're talking about one av an average score over a thousand odd patients. Is it that in some patients there it's a much larger difference, and in some it's none at all, and that you you might if you're in a lucky subset, this d drug does actually have a significant difference. Whereas for others, it has essentially no difference at all. Those would be two ways of salvaging yep. something clinically meaningful from... But you need to show that, and they haven't yeah. actually shown that in the studies. Like you need to actually extend the study longer and see if it compounds, because maybe it levels off. Um, yeah. Maybe it stops benefiting you after a while. Maybe you start to maybe the downsides of the drug start to over um, start to take over again. We know that these drugs are associated with side effects, the arias and all that all that sort of stuff. So you know the, there could be uh, there could be all sorts of reasons why that doesn't quite work um and they just haven't shown they just haven't shown that yet and i i i don't think there are good standards in the area of alzheimer's disease for like this is what it means for there to be a clinical effect uh sorry a clinically significant effect yeah. um should we be using a percentage change it, it, it should we be using a number of points change like what's the actual rationale like how does a five point change on the scale relate to people's everyday life is there is there a clear study of that like a validation study that really properly maps five points of change to people's real world symptoms it's possible to do these kind of things but yeah because with with other things when we talked about um Ozempic and you know weight loss drugs there's a nice they lost 25 percent of their of their body weight you know that's that's just right. that, that that's a really right. straightforward thing to read out and it Whereas, turns out that that's about that you can like that's about 25 kilograms or something like you can actually measure you can actually 
physically measure that amount of, of, of yeah. weight. And then you can translate that out to other things too, because maybe you don't care about weight, but you do care about risk of cardiovascular disease or, or whatever it is. Diabetes, and that, yeah. Diabetes. And they have done or, or, or and are doing studies of the kind of second order effects like that. So I just think it's a bit of a mess with Alzheimer's. Like, what does it mean um, mm. to, to, to be slightly slower in declining on this on this, uh, on this this test? And remember, you always have to bear in mind, it's always about slowing people's decline, not about gaining them back points on the cognitive test that they had previously lost. Yeah, it's about buying them a few months of good, you know, a few more good months rather than, yeah, get, get reversing things. But, you know, which is, I don't want to downplay that, you know, because a few extra months with a loved, a well-loved grandmother or something like that would be a big deal, right? But yeah. it's... You know, but you do have to... Uh, but remember how expensive these drugs are and remember the risk of side effects. I mean, um, set, uh, multiple people, I can't remember the exact numbers uh, at the moment, died in the uh, the trial of um, lecanemab, at least, the, the second mm. one. I'm not sure about denanemab. So, you know, there are potential side effects. I think the drug companies say that it's not related or something, you know, but they would say that. Um, you know, you've got to weigh these things up and a few months, is that actually worth the price that you pay? So uh, I'm just... I just think these seem all very, very murky at the moment, all these drugs, and yeah. I don't think they provide particularly strong evidence for the Alzheimer's uh, um, amyloid hypothesis because it's really unclear that they're having a dramatic effect. And if, if amyloid really was the cause, I, I think you would expect to see a larger um, impact here. Well, I mean, that's the big question from for, sort of from the point of view of this podcast, at least, is what does it mean for the amyloid hypothesis? I mean, I would say when Numab um came out i it felt to me from well to, to me who knew almost nothing whatsoever about the whole field but you know, I, I became briefly aware of the amyloid hypothesis and felt oh, okay this feels like a bit of a it feels like it's a hole below the waterline but then when you do see some progress or rather slow change a change in disease progression with the other ones i'm thinking with uh, lecanemab that at least it it, it's it's a little bit of a hint that there might be something there. I mean, maybe the, maybe there's lots of factors going on in um, in uh, in Alzheimer's and the amyloid is just one part of it, or maybe it's a symptom and you're basically treated a symptom and like it like you know it's like blocking your we're um, taking a decongestant when you've got a cold. It doesn't actually stop the virus, but it temporarily gets rid of a symptom. You know, I, I don't know, maybe it's something like that. But it, it doesn't. It seems like the fact that they have some measurable impact on clinical symptoms yeah suggest it, it, it's it hints that maybe there's something there that it's not a, you that, should that, yeah not a, i think i think in the bayesian look it's me that's bringing the bayesian stuff up yay. This time. um I taught you, so you well. should update towards you should update towards uh there being there you know the amyloid being, effect, being yeah. a bit more true a little bit uh, however you need to be a bit careful about these studies because it's not just that the effect size is a bit confusing and so on. There are other, you know, problems with the studies that we pointed out. Like everyone with, um, like it's a very highly selected uh, sample. Um, people who had additional illnesses in addition to Alzheimer's were sort of screened out. That's the case for the, the Lakembi trial as well. Um, and if you, you know, if you remove people who have um, other effects, it, it, that sort of selection effect does 
sometimes mean that you find effects that are larger than the true effect because everything's just a bit messier when you've got other conditions going on and uh, and, and so on. So it's possible that the, the drug wouldn't have as big an effect in real life, even as the one that it does in the trials, and that's not very big. So yeah. there are issues. There are issues there. We just need more. We just need more trials of the of these drugs. It's just it's just uh, you know yeah. it's just a, a classic and case of more evidence like, needed. Like, like, it's, it's, if, I, I could understand someone saying this is uh, the these are the sort of first generation of these drugs and maybe they'll be better ones you know we, we can design better ones that don't have the horrible side effects and get rid of more amyloid yeah. and then we'll see more but then that does involve sending presumably hundreds of millions of pounds on more yep. t- trials and look and how long so it took to get these ones yeah exactly exactly so yeah. I, I don't think i've got much in the way of sort of um good advice for anyone other than this this <laughs> seems like a bit of a mess you know yes yeah totally i just wanted to mention one more thing uh, on alzheimer's because uh, I think it's an, an interesting way of trying to make Alzheimer's research better than it used to be. Um, and uh, it goes back to that test that I gave you right at the start, the one about spelling the word world backwards and all that sort of oh, stuff, yeah, yeah. Um, what year is which it? you aced, by the way. Um, Thank you. Remember when Donald Trump did the, the, a similar test to that and he was so pleased about it and he was like crowing about how he you know passive flying colors and stuff like that <laughs> um uh, which was very funny if you knew the test because of course these tests don't have a high end that is there's a ceiling effect in the test that if you're anywhere above average in your cognitive abilities you're going to get basically full marks on these tests because they don't have hard questions they're designed to highlight to flag people who have very low scores and who might be suffering from dementia so you know if if he didn't get basically full marks on that test then it would be extremely worrying (laughs) he would have dementia very (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and that's not which i did worry i did i did think i did think in the early years of the trump presidency that there was a decent chance about that but i think i was just flat wrong about that interesting cognitive issues uh whether or not they're dementia um so, so so yeah Individuals whose cognitive functioning is above average are likely to receive 30 out of 30, regardless of whether they're slightly above average or very above average. That's to, one, to quote one paper on, on, on this. Now, the problem is with, with, with using these tests to diagnose people with Alzheimer's is that people start to decline from different peaks because we know that some people are not to put too fine a point on it, smarter than others, right? Some people start from a very high level. If, uh, you know, Einstein is taking is taking um, one of these tests, it's going to take Einstein a hell of a lot longer to um, decline to the point where he's getting a low score than it would take um, compared to, like, me, like someone yeah. with a lower IQ than Einstein. Like, I, I would, uh, you know, even if we were declining at the same rate, it would take, I, I, I would hit the point of, problematic ones, cognition so, yeah. failing the test a hell of a lot faster than uh, than than einstein and so um to quote this paper that i'm going to mention it's by one of my colleagues and friends uh, elliot tucker drop um if a person who you know started with a lower uh, ability you know has been diagnosed with dementia maybe they maybe they've undergone 15 points of cognitive decline whereas another person might have undergone 30 points of cognitive decline before they hit the the, the point at which there's you know actual impairment because of course there's going to you only go in for a d- dementia diagnosis if you've sto- if you've started to spot problems in your life you know you've started to forget things you're not performing as well as you you used to and so maybe you'd go to see your GP and maybe get a test but if you started at a high point you might have had a much longer period of dementia because you might have lost 30 IQ points before you before you reach that reach that point 
you might have had amyloid building in your brain, whatever it is, whatever biological process is causing dementia, for a hell of a lot longer mm. than someone who was always quite close to the point that they would start seeing issues in their in their daily life. Um, can I, can and, I draw an analogy? I want to see if, I want to see yeah. if I've got this. Yeah, so yeah. Like the, um, uh, a lot of people, when they get older, they get uh, height loss. Their sort of spine, spine compresses, they get osteoporosis, yeah. they get shorter. And it's as though we said problematic height loss starts when someone drops below five foot two. Right, exactly. And, um, and, uh, you, and you, then you could start with someone who's five foot four to start with and someone else who's, five, who's six foot. And then you see... Precisely, you, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's that's be a weird way of measuring it, wouldn't it? Be a really odd exactly. Thing. Yeah. But that is that is how we measure things. We measure things in this categorical way when we say that someone has Alzheimer's or has dementia or has not got Alzheimer's or dementia, um, mm. and that's we could we could do a, an awful lot better than that. You often get you know you, when when you hear people talk about Alzheimer's, you sometimes hear about people who you know their brain is full of. Um, plaques and tangles, you know, amyloid and, 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 and tau, and yet they're still cognitively fine. But the question is, are they as cognitively fine as they were 20 years previously? Um, you know, maybe they've not reached the point of actual, you know, proper impairment yet, but they might still be, uh, you know, rather different from, from how they were before. Mm. And this completely confuses the issue of whether amyloid is causing things, whether it's a correlate, to what extent do you have to have amyloid in your brain before it causes problems? All these questions are really messed up by the fact that we have this really blunt categorical diagnosis of whether someone has dementia or not. Um, and because we're using these blunt tests that don't have a high end, that we can't tell from the test I gave you, which is called the mini mental state examination, like doesn't have a high end. You can't, you can't, unlike Donald, you know, Pache Donald Trump, you can't uh, use that to diagnose whether someone has a really high IQ or not. That's just not what the test is for. So in a perfect world, we would use full range cognitive tests, like cognitive tests that cover people right from the low end to the high end. We would do them fairly regularly so people would know what level they were at or what level they had been at previously. Because, of course, a lot of, you know, a better diagnosis of, of dementia is whether someone has changed a great deal from a previous point. Like, it's just like your height example. It doesn't help us to know what height you are right now because if, if we didn't know what height you were beforehand. I'm not saying that every GP should be doing, like, an hour-long IQ test with people, but certainly in the scientific studies where we're really trying to tease apart the biological mechanisms of how all this works, it, it, you know, we shouldn't be relying on these very blunt instruments uh, yeah. to, 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 to tell. So basically, we should be doing better psychology in order to understand the biology uh, better. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. The, um, I mean, the, 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 what one, someone cares about is how they've changed, you know, to some extent. Like, if, it doesn't matter whether I fall below some arbitrary threshold. It, it would bother me whether I'm not the person I felt I was before, you know? Well, exactly. And, yeah. and yeah. it doesn't bother me if I'm fine. It, 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 the height, the height um, analogy, I think, is quite useful because, you know, if, if I go, if I drop down three inches in height, that would bother me whether or not I reach some particular that, yeah, a particular height or not? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that seems. And there might come a, there might come a point where we can all agree that it's it's bad to be below that height. Like uh, it's you can't you, you stop being able to reach on a particular shelf, right? Would be the yeah. analogy. Um, but it's still it's still clearly you know biologically meaningful if you've lost 
a huge amount of your height, even if you're still not below that threshold, right? That would be the threat. That would be the, the analogy, uh, the height analogy there. Sure. Anyway, that's just a little uh, point from a psychologist there about how we might uh, um, do better research and actually really clinch the question of whether uh, amyloid is causing these problems or whether it's something else. Um, and regardless of whether it is amyloid or, or, or something else, we should be doing the psychology at a much finer grained level um, in order to really understand uh, Alzheimer's. So anyway, that's just a little, little question, a little no, point I for me to end there. A complete, it seems to make just perfect sense to me. I, I think it's completely true. Whether yeah, it's not just it's not just amyloid. It's the whole of Alzheimer's and death right. dementia. And you can't yeah. really make totally. sense of it if you're just looking at taking. It's almost that like you've in, you're introducing a selection effect, aren't you? Saying we're only looking at people at this point in their progression yeah. or at this point, this arbitrary level which they reach, no matter where they started, and it just it skews the whole thing. So I completely so, agree. Elliot Tucker nice has got a great paper. Has got a great paper on that, and uh, with some really nice graphs that explain the thinking behind that so uh, i'll um we'll link that in the, in the show notes yeah so we haven't really resolved whether or not Al uh, amyloid causes uh, causes alzheimer's but i don't think anybody else has either so i think science has yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah. um but i do think it is i, I think you i think you can have I'd still still say it's an interesting and promising or interesting avenue of research but i certainly don't get i'm not i'm not filled with confidence that it's the it's the it's the whole answer after after yeah, we've, yeah not the only game in town yeah exactly yeah. well yeah. um i think we're going to wrap it up there uh yes so i i've been tom chivers and this i gather is Stuart ritchie uh, that's the, great and if you enjoyed the study show please do like and subscribe as we said earlier on and uh tell your friends and all that sort of stuff and we will see yeah. you another time thanks for listening bye for now Take care, guys. Bye.